Welcome to How We Work from Work Human, a podcast about the trends, issues, relationships, and phenomena that shape our workplaces. I'm Mike Lovett. It's January 2022, and with the turning of the calendar, we are reflecting on 2021 and projecting into the new year to try to anticipate what opportunities and challenges lay ahead. When I say we, I am mainly referring to this episode's guest. Chris French is the Executive Vice President of Customer Strategy at WorkHuman, which entails quite a bit, including helping current and future customers build more human workplaces. To do that, he needs to understand the state of the workforce and where it may be headed. And that's exactly what he's here to help us do today. So without further ado, here's the episode. All right, Chris French, welcome to the show. We are here to talk about 2022 HR predictions. But before we get to that, I want to look back. And so I'm wondering if you were able to take stock of 2021, how do you feel the human workplace fared? Do you feel it progressed, regressed, stayed the same? How do you view it looking back? Well, first of all, thanks for having me here, Mike. It's uh, it's a great pleasure to chat with you. And look, I think 2021 it definitely did not stay the same. I guess is the way I would say that. You know, and I would say that in terms of progress, the intention of companies to create human workplaces definitely massively increased. I think that we came out of 2020, we realized that employees are incredibly important. We can't get things done without them, and we need to focus on that. However. We spent a lot of the year going back and forth. Are we going to go back to the office or are we not? Okay, we're probably not going to go back to the office. Now we're going to have to work together in this hybrid environment and we're going to have to worry about do people need vaccination? There was a lot of things going on. So people had a lot of really good intentions, right? I need to take care of my people. But I think it would be unfair to say that we made a lot of progress when we end the year and the key themes for people at work are the great resignation that 40% of the people are thinking about potentially leaving their work in the next 90 days. A whole bunch of them actually are. We have historic levels of isolation, loneliness, and mental health challenges in the workplace. We have great aspirations for diversity, equity, inclusion, but we had, we didn't make a ton of progress this year in terms of like measurable results. And so I just think that the aspiration was there. And that's a big, that's a big advancement. I think that people, if you look everywhere, you can see that I was just reading something earlier today about the top five qualities of a, a leader for today. And number one is that people come first. And there's all kinds of articles and stories and research done in that. So people have the aspiration. I just think the number of things that are on the plate of the people who have to take care of people's strategies right now is just massive. And just the logistics of managing people and getting them to do the work units is taking a lot of the attention. And I think as we think about, as we start to go into 2022, we're going to have to deal with some of those things. You mentioned two of the major themes of 2021. Psychological safety was one. The great resignation was another. And there's an overlap there of what employees expect of employers now and, and what companies need to do to actually put their people first and to move themselves forward. Do you see those two themes continuing in 2022? And how might the conversation evolve around them in the new year? 
Yeah, when we started in 2021, a lot of the discussion was around, you know, psychological safety because everybody was working on remotely on Zoom or if they were in those kinds of roles where they were, they had to be on site. There was so much focus on physical safety and concerns about physical safety that I think this whole concept of generally safety at work, do I feel safe at work, whether that's physically or emotionally, was a big topic as we got into the beginning of this year. I think a lot of companies have stressed about that all year. And some of the things that have happened, some organizations have come back partly into the office, et cetera. I think the nature of that psychological safety issue has changed. In the beginning, in 2020, it was an acute issue. I can't connect with you. Like People have become accustomed to working, as an example, on video or working with a mask on, et cetera, or having to show vaccination status or all those types of things. But now you've got the cumulative effect of a just a gap in human connection over a longer period of time. So the nature of those changes is very different. You know, if you think about the fact that in the past you would go into it, this is the one thing that people don't really think about when they think about remote working is at least you would go into the building and you'd be able to talk to somebody when you pass each other in the hall or when you went to get a coffee or when you were eating lunch together. I mean, you couldn't help but at least walk past another person and see how they're doing. And, and then people would naturally say, how are you doing? And you don't look like you're doing too well. So what's going on? Can I help? Type of thing. None of those organic interactions happen. Like you hear stories still of people talking about going into the office and still sitting in front of their computer because half the people are still remote. So they're sitting in front of their, they're all in the same room, staring at the computer and not looking at each other, right? And so that gap of human connection is huge and companies really have to start thinking about how am I going to fill that? The great resignation is the other side of this. Look, people have been talking about leaving. Like the great resignation started as people are thinking about leaving. And in the beginning, if you look at like, let's say the jobs report in that came out uh, recently from September, the US jobs report, a lot of the people who left the jobs were the people who were in jobs where there was a physical safety frontline kind of roles in hospitality and those types of roles, service industries, et cetera. And so we haven't even begun to see, I think, the turnover, or we've just begun to see the turnover in the people in the other jobs who have now, from the cumulative effect, of not really interacting with the other humans in their company and their team and the general dissatisfaction that people feel like in life because they've been kind of cooped up for a long time, people leaving their organizations that just don't have the same connection and they're leaving. And that's going to continue for sure into 2022. It is one of the things that when I talk to chief people officers, chief human resources officers, they're really worried about that. And then if everybody's leaving, then it's a free-for-all. So you have to make sure that you can recruit people to your organization, that you're going to be the greener pasture that people are looking for. There is no magical, we found that out last year. I don't know if you remember, we're all like, oh, thank goodness, 2020 is over. And then you get to January 1st and you're like, wow, this feels awful a lot like 2020, right? I think we're going to have the same thing here in 2022. Yeah, we should maybe dispel with this sort of magical turning of the calendar, making all the problems go away. It doesn't seem to ever work. Right. Now, if, if you're an employer and you're hearing this, like you've probably heard about the great resignation for a while now and are hoping that it sort of dissipates or that fervor of employees wanting to leave maybe dies down. But as you said, and as most of our data backs up, it's not going anywhere. And so as an employer, what do you consider paramount for them to do 
to make themselves the greener pasture? How do you ensure that your grass is in fact greener? Well, think about what employees want. So what's happening right now is what you're seeing employers do is offer, let's say, financial incentives. So like things like salaries, et cetera, are skyrocketing. Eventually, you're not going to be able to compete that same way, right? Like eventually, unless you have all the you know, all the money, you're not going to be able to compete on those things. Most companies are not going to be able to compete on these new and unique and interesting, I almost call them gimmicky perks. Like we have a company RV and you can drive around the country and for a week and work from there, right? That's great. That doesn't work at scale and doesn't work for a lot of the, for instance, the companies that we would work with that, you know, have hundred thousands of employees and therefore you're not going to have 80 of those things, right? And so the question then becomes, why would people stay? Why would people stay at your organization? They, because they feel connected to the purpose. They feel connected to the people there. They feel connected to the work. They feel like they can grow. People are changing the definite. They're not there to, they don't live to work. They work to live. And so why would they pick your place? Well, if you're not creating an environment where people feel like they belong, they can bring their self to work. It's a flexible work environment. They can grow. You're not going to win that. So the, the opposite is the answer to your question. You have to find ways to create more of a connection between the employees and all of those pieces, like the other people, the company, et cetera, not just, I'm going to negotiate with you as an individual and I'm going to give you a certain amount of money and you're going to give me the work and that's going to be enough. Like people have just said, that's not enough anymore. I don't care. Some people have made it about flexibility of working arrangements. Some people have made it a little bit about money. But I don't even think the employees all realize that some of the dissatisfaction is just the loss of connection. I would ask all the listeners to think, how has the quality of your relationship with your friends at work and things like that changed? For every company, it's decayed. It has to, because all these other natural ways that you would connect with people in a physical space, you don't have that anymore. So you have the meeting, you finish the meeting, you start the next meeting. Some companies are doing great things to connect people, but it's not the same. We don't get the reminders anymore that so-and-so got a new pet unless they walk across the screen. You're like, find out somebody got married three months ago. You get together one time for your mixing cocktails party or baking scones, things that we would done here, but there's no memory of those things. Like it happened, it was great in the moment. And then, then later you're just left thinking, man, I missed that stuff. And what am I going to do with all these scones? Right. So you have to find ways to reinforce that good things are happening drive human connections in the workplace, or people are going to find another place where they get it. I want to go back to something you said about companies having an aspiration, but perhaps the action not following as closely. And one of those was around diversity, equity, and inclusion. 2020, killing of George Floyd brought race to the workplace in a way that maybe it hasn't ever. And Mm -hmm. 2021 then became this year of promised action. And I would argue, I think many people would argue, I think you yourself would argue, that did not happen to the level that it was promised. So where do companies that made that pledge, but maybe didn't follow through on it, or even just in general, how do companies improve? Where do we go from here of, we know what we want to do in theory, but putting it into practice? What needs to happen? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, I mean, I wouldn't say... So we certainly have not made the progress that we were promised, that's for sure. But I would say that, at least from an awareness perspective, there's a lot more companies that are thinking about this and thinking of it as a key driver within their people strategy than there were before. 
But this has always been a bit of the challenge with this particular topic is that you can say that you want to make an impact and you do some things, but is it really making a difference, right? If you do the surveys, do people in those populations that that are meant to benefit from these, from these initiatives, are they actually feeling any different, right? And that's what you're referring to when you say people feel like it originally hasn't been that much change. So I'd say there's more companies that are trying but the effectiveness is still sort of the same. And there's lots of, there's a million other things going on and it's actually a lot harder to build connection and make people feel included in general right now. But I would say that I think that we made progress as well as in understanding the size of the problem in in each organization. Like people have started to measure things and try to understand. But again, a lot of the solutions that have start people have started out with are around training and awareness and those types of things. And it's hard to do that alone. For instance, if we take something like unconscious bias, the hard part about unconscious bias is that it is unconscious. And so you can talk about being aware of unconscious bias and I can listen and I can learn, but it's in the moment that I'm doing the thing that I need to be reminded, right? Like for an example, one of the things that that we do with our customers is if you're running a recognition program, there's a moment that comes where I say, I saw this person doing this thing and I'm going to let them know I saw you and I appreciated it. It's in that moment that I need to be reminded about unconscious bias. So that in that moment, so this idea of in real time, being able to micro coach people in the right direction so that you're building the habit of saying, hold on, before I do this, let me just ask myself, are these the words that I really should use? Am I recognizing all the people that I should be recognizing as an example? And so I think that there are things that we're making progress and, you know, um, some of the AI tools that are being used for around hiring bias with mixed results, but at least are pushing in the right direction where we can sort of remove some of the the human perspective out of, out of these processes and just have a reflection moment without emotion that says, hey, are we looking at the right things here? And I think those interventions, those those nudges at the right time, those actually companies that are doing those things actually are starting to see progress, which I think is uh, is encouraging. Yeah, to back that up on the specific topic of micro coaching, Monica Jackson of Eaton, someone who we've worked with, who was at Work Human Live last year, she discussed in depth the strategy they have around doing exactly what you suggested, finding those moments, not having it be a four-hour training block and limiting it to that, but finding those organic moments to provide those micro-coaching. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes for you to check out because she does provide a a lot of great commentary about how they established it and the success of that in implementing it. So we know great resignation is not going anywhere. Psychological safety is not going anywhere. DE&I is not going anywhere. What are some of the new trends you expect to emerge in 2022 that we maybe haven't talked about today? Well, first of all, I would say that we're going to have to solve this problem of human connection. It wasn't as clear at the beginning of 2021, but it's become very clear at the end of 2021 that not everybody's just going to go back to the office eventually. So finding ways for your humans to connect when you're not looking you know, when I say that, like, when the, it's not the company's job, it's not somebody in HR's job, but for the employees to connect with each other is going to be critical. And people are going to need to figure that out because you can't deal with loneliness and mental health challenges one-to-one between the company and the person. So this idea of employing the crowd to be part of the solution is going to have to be a, a trend in 2022. I think the metrics, the way that we measure our progress with in our people strategies is going to be very different. In the past, there's a lot of annual reviews or 
quarterly reviews. How are we doing? How is this person doing? Are they being productive? How do they feel? You know, you'll do like an, a survey. All that will have to be subsidized, I would say, by real time, more real time metrics. What's the language that people are using when they talk to each other? You know, how frequently are they connecting? We have to drive more feedback in real time, et cetera. So you're going to see that the metrics and, and technology is going to allow us to do some things that we've never been able to do before, like, you know, natural language processing and some of the AI and machine learning stuff will allow us to do things we never imagined before. So therefore we'll be able to get a better sense of real time, but all of the metrics around how we measure the impact of our people strategies, I think will change. I think you'll see compensation will need to change. Most organizations compensation model is based on salary benefits and big bonus at some point during the year based on annual or semi-annual reviews on how that person is progressing. I think it was already trending to not work before the pandemic. It's clearly not working now. And you need all kinds of other tools at your fingertips to reward people in real time to, you know, even things like holiday parties are not happening anymore. Like you take those funds and how else are you showing appreciation for your employees and inspiring them to connect together and stuff like that, right? So that whole concept of compensation moving towards a more agile or real-time component, I think is the third piece. And look, I mean, we could go on and on. The reality is that everything's up for grabs. A lot of the long-standing traditions on how we think about the relationship between a person and work and how we manage them, all of that is up for grabs. You know, the way we do performance management, the way we do compensation, the way we think about creating an inclusive work environment, the way that people connect to the company's mission and to each other, all that is up for grabs right now in terms of change. And so the biggest challenge will be how do you drive what does the traditional work environment look like? It's not like everybody doesn't just still have that real estate. What are you going to use it for? Anything? Or are you going to go fully remote? So imagine being an HR professional right now and having to do all the things you had to do before, plus deal with the great resignation. So turnover is a huge time productivity suck and cost and historic levels of loneliness and mental health and everything, all the rules for all the ways that you interact with people are changing at the same time. So the last piece of the reason I say this is because the function of HR and what its job is to move as a facilitator of culture rather than a manager of people policies is going to, be, and you see this a lot, a lot of the, there's people in you know, all these new roles created, like the hybrid workplace person responsible for that. A lot of people not even using the term HR anymore, using chief people officer or people talent and culture and all of those components. So because of all those other changes, the last change that I would see coming is a change in the function, the people function within organizations and what its job, fundamental job is. So that's a really long answer. Lots of changes. You know, you know me, I could talk forever. So we'll cut it off there. And that's a big one. And I, I want to touch on something you had said, and you kind of answered this in a way, but to put this episode in time, this is in the midst of bonus season, which still for many is kind of that one time a year where you're hearing how you're doing. You are getting that sense of recognition. I think we as a company would call that out of date or would advocate for a more frequent, consistent approach. So how can practically, how can companies modernize their approach to recognizing and rewarding employees so that it's not January to January, but it is on a weekly or bi-weekly, monthly basis, something just more consistent? 
Well, first of all, you're alluding to the idea of frequency. In other words, it's kind of like you have a retirement party for a person and everybody says nice things about the person. And then the person sitting there the whole time thinking, why didn't anybody say any of this to me while I was working there? Right. It's the same thing at the end of the year. And it doesn't matter if you've waited the whole year and you're waiting for this bonus, no matter what the person gives you, it's not worth a year of your life. Certainly not a year like 2021. And so it's invariably disappointing. But I would, I would argue that the premise of the question as an example has a challenge, which is, let me ask you this question. If I say you're going to get a bonus, who's giving it to you? I would assume the company. Okay. The company. That's not a human being. Maybe your manager, if you associate with anybody, but the company, right? And that is when you talk about how can you modernize the process, the first thing is you have to stop thinking about it, that it's only from the company. There has to be a component that you give to the people to give to the people. And the reason for that is even a manager. So in most companies, managers are 12 to 14% of the population. They do not see 90% of what the people do. They are not there. They were never there when, when it was in the office and certainly not there in this remote or hybrid kind of environment. If you're working on the floor, they're, unless they're walking the floor behind you, they don't see it. So that was one of the biggest challenges with the bonus is this person who doesn't know what you do every day is arbitrarily the one who decides how much to give you. So let's start with first, you have to give a component to the people to give to the people. Now, the good part is that can be in much smaller amounts and it can be much more frequently because now you've got an army of like the rest of the 86 to 88% of the company who's actually looking for those good things. And when it comes from your colleague or your peer, it's more of a surprise. You don't expect it. You know, when you get a bonus at the end of the year, you expect, and you know, there's a bonus program, you expect it, you know? So your expectation is at a certain level. So no matter what it is, you're only getting the Delta between expectation and reality. And that can be either good or bad. And even then, even if it's good, it only lasts for like three weeks. So you have to build frequency doesn't mean the managers can ignore. Sure, every once in a while, the managers have to give recognition as well. But you should be thinking in terms of allocating 1% of pay. 1% of pay will give you the opportunity from in most organizations to create eight to 10 recognition moments a year on average for person. Some people will get less because they're doing less and some people will get more because frankly, they're doing more and they're high performers. And then you give it to the people to give to the people. Now you've got a real chance to create this rhythm not only that, but then each of your people actually themselves are getting the benefits of expressing the gratitude as well. And you get this virtuous circle where either you're, you're looking for something good and feeling good about the fact that you've appreciated someone or someone is seeing you and giving to you. And you never really get beyond that three week period where you run out. And even if you do, you don't go that far before the tank is refilled. And it's 1%. You know, most bonus pools are, you know, nine, 10%. You know, we give, usually give people merit increases. If I went in a room, I've been in a room of CFOs and I've said, you're giving on average 2.75 to 3% merit increases. What do you think you get from it? And 80% of the people said nothing. The other 20% said less than nothing. So if you took a portion of that and put it into recognition programs, I have 140 slides of data that tell you, you will massively decrease turnover greatly increase the probability that people will perform better, will be more resilient, will feel more included at work. It'll start to fill some of the gap that we've been talking about in terms of human connection at work when the company's not looking, et cetera. So when we talk about modernizing this, we're not, I'm not even saying take all the bonus. I mean, I, I still think if you did, that would be good. But I'm not even saying do that. Even experiment. 
take a portion of it, put it into a recognition culture with us at Work Human, and, and we'll give you the return 10 times. We've talked a lot about some big topics here. Yes. And you even suggested just the very nature of HR, that foundation shifting, which is a lot. But if someone is listening to this and they're wondering, where should I start? What's the first thing that it will create immediate impact? It can set the tone for all of these other things that, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. They are all sort of interconnected in some way. What would you recommend someone prioritize to start on a path to a more psychologically safe workplace, to a more connected workplace, to a more inclusive workplace? What is the through line of all of those things that people can start with? So obviously I'm biased because I spend all day talking to the chief human resource officers, chief people officers, culture, people responsible for culture and organizations about the benefits of recognition. But what I would say that's magical is that HR has got enough to do. This is one of the very, very few things where you can have the people be part of the solution. And it checks all the boxes in creating a great recognition culture. It checks the boxes on creating psychological safety because if people are regularly telling you what you're doing, you're doing well, you're not sitting there the whole time thinking, am I doing the right things? And if they want to give you feedback, it's not going to be crushing because you've never heard any positive feedback. It's going to help. It's proven even just four recognition moments a year can cut almost in half the probability that a person will leave the organization. It's proven that people who are recognized regularly and give recognition regularly feel more included, feel more connected with their colleagues. And so we're talking about something that's pennies on the dollar, that once you're up and running, you don't even have to run it as HR, that the people themselves are the thing that keeps it alive. And they say, well, that's not, how can that be true? Because every HR program I've ever run, we've had to like fan the fires over and over again to keep it alive. Well, the difference with recognition is recognition is like trying to get people to eat chocolate. Like once you've tasted it, you don't have to continue to convince them that this is a good thing, right? So you can, and there are proven scientific methods for getting this into a self-sustaining thing so that this thing can be running so that you can focus on all these other big challenges for the outliers, the people who are too far gone in our mental health crisis, those kinds of components. What are we going to do with our office space, et cetera? This thing can be part of the solution and making all those other things easier while you're not literally working on it yourself. And so that's why I always say that. And then I would say that we can't let these moments of celebration, whether they happen in our regular life, whether they happen at work or whether they happen because we got together, we can't let those moments pass without taking advantage of using it as an opportunity to connect us. Like in the old days, you go in the office, somebody is getting married, you have a little shower, or at least you pass around a card, etc. Like there are tools that allow the people to just do those things themselves, to celebrate that we all are part of the runner's club, to celebrate that, you know, so-and-so, like that maybe Mike, you got a puppy. I mean, if you didn't get a puppy, you're one of like nine people that didn't get a puppy during this time. Get a new cat. So <laughs> there you same, go. Same, same there thing. you go. Right. And so a huge opportunity. These things where the people take care of the people are a great help, especially at a time when the HR function is under such so much pressure and so much change. And by the way, now you have to report to your board on things like what are we doing around diversity, equity, inclusion? You can say this, right? What are we doing around things like 
you know, our culture and trying to create an environment where we can recruit more people. And you can point to this and it's not a thing that you have to like run yourself. So I would say that's part of what makes it magical is, is not just that it's more efficient and effective from a cost perspective and it actually does produce the outcomes, but it's not going to pull you personally away from the million other things that you have to do as well right now because the people run it. Well, Chris, I'm going to express a moment of recognition here. Thank you for joining (laughs) the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. I think a lot of people will find this helpful and hopefully it sets a good tone for 2022. So thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. And can I just finish with one? Is it okay if I finish with one other thing, which is that, let me tell you why I'm hopeful though, because we talked about a lot of these challenges and we talked about, you know, the great resignation and all these things, but I'll tell you, People really are trying, like when I was, I was serious at the beginning when I said that people really are aspiring to bigger things. And that keeps me really hopeful. I think for the first time in, in my career here, certainly in the 10 years I've been at Work Human, people really understand that people have to come first. And that's a huge, huge shift in mindset. And we might be frustrated with the progress we made this last year, but that's a big shift. And it leaves me incredibly hopeful. There's a lot of companies doing innovative things, pushing the boundaries and creating these human workplaces. So I would say to leave us on the positive note that 2020, we're going to have some of the same challenges, but I think we're getting ready for it. And, and I'm very hopeful. So I you know, just leave your listeners with that. <laughs> That's good. Leave them on an uplifting note. I like it. Well, thank you again for joining. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this helpful uh, and hopefully you start to implement this stuff in your own workplace. But Chris French, thank you once again, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you for listening to How We Work. For more stories, insights, podcasts, and videos about the state of work, head to workhuman.com. Follow us on all social channels at WorkHuman and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can even subscribe to our newsletter in the show notes. How We Work is produced and hosted by me and edited and mixed by Rob Valois. We will see you with a new episode next month. Talk to you then.